0: The news reminds us that these are times to dig deep. These are times when surface platitudes and shallow religion will not do. They will not satisfy. They will not give us the ground that we need to stand on. They say that the conflict that we have seen erupting in Paris is the conflict of our time. It will not be something that goes away quickly. It will be that which tests us in the years to come, and I believe it is a time for the church to dig deep. It will be a time for us to be a refuge, to be a voice, to be a rock in shifting times when people will search for something deeper and stronger. We've been talking about God's Word the last few weeks. We've been talking about how the Bible is God's Word, that is God-breathed, and because it is God's breath, it is it is His Word, it is profitable, it is useful, it is powerful to teach the truth and to rebuke lies, to correct our lives and to train us in righteousness. We've also said, though, that the Word is not just a training manual for all those things, but that Jesus says that these are the words that speak of me. And we need to come, you need to come to me and to have life. And so it is through the word that we encounter a living Christ. It is through the word that we know who he is. It is through his word that we understand his gospel. It is in his word that he speaks to us with power. And we find real life. And so the next couple of weeks I wanted to, this week and next, talk a little bit about a couple of ways that we do come to Christ in his word, through his word, and that he comes to us through his word. This morning we're in Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 to 9. Hear the word of God. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant is dead. And now therefore you arise and go over the Jordan, you and all of this people, into the land that I am giving to them. And to the people of Israel, every place that you set the sole of your foot will tread upon that I have given to you. Just as I promised to Moses and from the wilderness and this Lebanon as far as the great river Euphrates, all of the land of the Hittites, the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life just as I was with Moses so I will be with you. I will never leave you. I will not forsake you. Be strong, courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers and to give to them. Only be strong. Be very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, has commanded to you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left. That you may have good success for wherever you go. The book of the law, this book of the law, shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous, do not be frightened, do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go, pray with me, Father in heaven, we have gathered this morning as your people, we have come to sit at your feet, we long to hear your voice, for your word to come in power, that you would speak it to us afresh. And that it would have its full effect in our hearts, in our minds, and in our lives. That we might be shaped according to it. That we might find ourselves drawn to its truth and our lives shaped according to your purposes. So come near. Come near. Recapture us this morning for yourself. According to your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The passage in front of us this morning, I wanted to talk about verse 8. But verse 8 comes in the context, it is this succession of power and leadership from Moses to Joshua. right? It is a story of transition, it's a story of, of this uh, movement from this wandering in the wilderness to a, to a home. God is calling Joshua to lead his people in this transition, to lead them across the Jordan and into the promised land he 's calling them to invade and to conquer the land to war he calls them to war. You and I know or at least most of us have heard this whole era taught and and I think likened and, and rightfully so as a as a picture as typological of our own spiritual walk that just as Israel was called out of slavery in egypt and And is now crossing into the Jordan land, into a land, a new life, a land flowing with milk and honey. And yet there is this warfare that they must endure to see the land conquered and subdued. And this is a picture of our own deliverance from Egypt, from sin and from slavery outside of Christ into a land flowing with milk and honey, into the kingdom of God, into the kingdom of light and to belong to Christ. But we enter into this warfare to see the land subdued to see our souls subdued under the lordship of Christ. So there's this beautiful picture, and at the outset, as God calls Joshua into this warfare and his people into this warfare, as he has called all of us into a similar warfare, to see the enemy subdued and our souls become that place that it is meant to be. God describes to Joshua a relationship that he wants Joshua to have and all of God's people to have with his word. Right, he describes, as he calls Joshua to do this thing, he says, but as you go to do this thing, you need to, be, you need to have this relationship with my word. Right? It needs to be a part of your life in a, in a powerful, unique, and special way. Immediately after Moses' death, the written law of Moses, the Pentateuch, in a sense is canonized by God. Right? He tells Joshua to have the kind of relationship with him. Like all these words that I gave through the law that was given through Moses before you as a prophet. I want you to take those words. And I want you to love them. And I want you to know them. And I want you to memorize and meditate on them. And I want you to obey them and to see your life shaped according to them. Moses' word, this book of the law, what they had so far, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, God gives it to, to Joshua and says, feed on it, live on it, love it, shape it. God canonizes it as his own word immediately. Schaefer says, it's there in your bulletin under the first point, Joshua knew Moses. He knew him personally. Joshua knew that Moses was a sinner. He knew that Moses had made mistakes. He knew that Moses was just a man. Nonetheless, immediately after Moses' death, Joshua accepted the Pentateuch, the first five books, the writings of Moses, and he accepted it not just as the writing of Moses, but as the writing and the Word of God. To be loved and treasured, absorbed, lived. So these commands to Joshua, as I was looking at these, we'd say, well, that's interesting. God gave them to Joshua. But as you look at this passage, one of the ways that I'm comfortable coming to it and taking it and applying it as as promises and commands to us where we are in our moment is almost every one of these promises and commands is repeated throughout the life of God's people throughout the Bible. All of the things that God promises to Joshua and and commands him to do, has been promised and commanded to his people throughout history. We see each one of them, the call to not be afraid. How often is that repeated to God's people? It's usually his address, the first thing that he says when he encounters and he has something to tell us and, you know, some task to give us. Again and again, his first thing is, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of me and don't be afraid of them. Right? That's one of the fruits, that's one of the gifts you get by knowing me. Don't be afraid, be strong, be courageous. Because the God of Moses is with you. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is with you. This call is there, Isaiah 41, verse 10. It's in your bulletin. God speaks to Israel and he says, fear not. I am with you. That's the same thing he just said to Joshua. That's the essence of the promise of God's people. You don't have to be afraid because your God is with you. Don't be dismayed, because I am your God. I will strengthen you. Be strong. I will strengthen you. Be courageous. Do not be dismayed. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. These are promises that come to God's people. You remember in the sermon—not the sermon on Mount, but the Great Commission at the end of Matthew twenty-eight. You know, it's one of the last things Jesus says to His people as He is, as he is departing. He says to take and to teach them go and make disciples of all nations and as you make disciples he says teach them to obey everything this is what he just told Joshua know my word love my word think about my word in such a way that you obey it all right so as you make disciples of all nations we're still doing the same thing teach them all of it and help them teach them to obey his word he says what the promise is this I will be with you always I will be with you always. You see this connection between his promise to be with us and us dwelling in his word, knowing it, loving it, being shaped by it, obeying it. Delight in my word. Meditate on my word. Obey my word. The word goes over and over. Psalm chapter 1, verse 2. It's in your bulletin. His delight. Whose delight? His delight. His being the man who's blessed. The blessed man. Blessed is the man. Because his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. That's what God just told Joshua to do. But it's, it's the essence of the blessed man or woman. That he meditates on God's word day and night. Colossians 3.16, we get to the New Testament and we'll see again and again, not in the exact same words, but Paul will write and he'll tell that God's people, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly abundantly like this word he uses I love this word picture it is to dwell in you and the word there literally is to take up residence to live there like let the word of God live in there abundantly and then he tacks on he never just kind of leaves it you know a little bit you know like you know get a little nibble on it no he says let the word of Christ dwell live in there abundantly richly a whole bunch same picture that God has given to Joshua, the kind of relationship that God's people are to have with his word, that he has given to us through Moses and through all those who follow, but he has given it, he takes that and he gives it to Joshua He says this needs to be a huge part of who you are, a huge part of your inner life, a huge part of your soul. You're to have this relationship to it. As James Montgomery Boyce there in your bulletin, he says, not only was Joshua to possess the Bible in a technical sense, but he was to possess it personally. And I love that as I read it, because I, I, my, my first thought is, you know, that is what's wrong with us so often. That's what's wrong with the church so often. We possess the Bible in a technical sense. It's a great manual of truth. And justice. It's a great manual of, of morality to proclaim to the world and to do. We 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 hold it in this technical sense. We have this great resource of, of truth to stand on. But doesn't come home in the way that it's supposed to. We possess it that way, but we don't possess it personally. In the way that, that God is telling Joshua to possess it, to meditate on it day and night so that it seeps into your soul and so that you are careful that your life is shaped by it and and you obey it you live it out that it that it gives form to you right that's personal like that's that's so much different than I can argue to you about this doctrine or I can tell you morally what's right over here it is much different that your life is so utterly shaped by it so in a sense that we don't just possess the word, but it begins to possess us. How does this accomplish? Because it's more than just reading and listening. It's more than just the accumulation of knowledge. It's more than coming and listening to an inspiring sermon and moving on. Something more has to happen. It requires meditation and prayer. and that's this week' meditation. And next week is prayer. And it requires for it to have this effect in us. The effect that God wants it to have on us is we have to have a relationship with the Word in the way that He tells us to. And the first thing He tells us is we need to meditate on it, day and night, all the time. Now the danger is whenever I start doing this, because I've always been convinced that Christians need to have what has been variously called a quiet time. A a devotional time, um, you know, a personal worship, meaning there needs to be time carved out somewhere in your life where you are with God. You and Him and nobody else and no distractions, and you are in a relationship with Him and you're listening to Him and talking to Him and you're doing business with God and you're worshiping Him and you're realigning your heart with Him and you're you know, the conviction is coming home fresh, like somewhere in our lives, I believe we we need to have this personal worship, quiet time, devotion, and, but the danger is, as soon as you say that, we have the kind of hearts that go to legalism, (laughs) and so we begin to say, okay, good Christians have quiet times, and quiet times consist of I read my Bible, and I say some prayers, and I write down a couple things. If you do it, whatever it is, and we decide what it is it should consist of, and when I've done it, in fact, sometimes I'll get that 10 minutes just because I know I'm supposed to do it, and check, 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 did it. And off into our day, and we get this thing going on, or, oh, I didn't do it. God's certainly not pleased with me today. Before I go to bed, i got to open the Bible, or he's not going to love me. Um, and sometimes, I mean, it's probably not quite that dramatic, but we do kind of we can get into that. Good Christians do, and don't, bad Christians don't. And it's not like that. It's more like eating right and exercising. Good people don't eat right and exercise. Healthy people eat right and exercise. You're not a better person. It's not about your character or your morality. It's not about this, that, or the other thing. It's not about. It's not about being good. It's about being healthy. It's about pursuing. Health and life. And so these are gifts, you know, good food, you know, and, and healthy active bodies are gifts. They're not the, you know, the Sabbath is for, to serve us, not us the Sabbath. And these things serve us, not us them. And it's not a place for guilt per se. It's a place to say, I need this to be a growing and healthy, spiritually healthy person. God tells Joshua, this book of the law, verse 8, shall not depart from your mouth. It will not depart from your mouth. You'll meditate on it day and night. Now, when when he says, it's kind of an unfamiliar idiom, that whole, this book of the law, when do you ever say that this shouldn't depart from your mouth? Usually, see, we can get this wrong. We can get the uh, opposite message because at least when I first hear that, I mean, what does it mean it shouldn't depart from your mouth? Usually when I'm saying like that, like, don't let that come out of your mouth. That's usually, keep that to yourself. I don't want to hear that. Right? Don't let that, you know, it's usually the opposite. So we, we would almost take it as keep that to yourself. This book of the law will not depart from it. It will not depart from your mouth. It all depends on how you hear it. But the idiom is actually saying exactly the opposite. It's saying it shouldn't depart from your mouth in the idea that it should always be there. Not that it shouldn't be there at all, but it should always be there. It should never depart. It should always be on your lips. So God's word to always be on our lips should never depart. His words should give shape to all of our words. Colossians 4.6, it's there in your bulletin under the second point. Always, he says, let your speech be always gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to give an answer to each person. In other words, it should so shape our hearts and our attitudes. Jesus says what? That your words come from where? He says, your words are the overflow of your heart, right? And he said that your words are the overflow of your heart. So our words to be seasoned with salt and and to be gracious in this way and to have the wisdom to answer people is is to have our hearts and our minds so shaped by it that that's what comes out. It should always be on our lips, and so it should always be in our hearts and our minds, which is why he goes on and says you need to meditate on it. You need to think about it. to to have it be the overflow of what's inside. See, his word, it it needs to to always be on our lips in the sense that it needs to always be then the topic of conversation among believers. Sometimes I'm a little surprised at how often we get together and how how often we engage in conversation and how little we talk about the things of God. How little sometimes we'll talk about decorating our houses or we talk about our vacations and we talk about our kids and we talk about this that and the other thing, and we we go down the road we we'll talk about sports we'll talk about whatever, but we ever talk about what is God teaching you i don't know what God is teaching you guys I don't know, what is he what, what way is he convicting you? what work is he doing in your life what what were you reading lately that really struck you in a new way and that is you know what is it that I think it should be part of our part of our culture, so to speak, part of our atmosphere in the life of the church, that we talk about these things, that we talk about them in our homes, that we talk about it with our friends, that we talk about it with our children. As you leave church, and they've been in here, and they've been in Sunday school, and as you leave church, we talk about our children, with our children, about what they're learning, and what they heard, and what difference it makes, and, and family devotions at bedtimes, and teachable moments. I think it's the same thing that that Moses was saying in Deuteronomy 6, 7, there in your bulletin, he says this, you shall teach them, that is, the law of God, that God just gave to Joshua and told him to not let depart from his lips. You should teach them diligently to your children. You should talk about it when you sit in your home, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. So how often is that? That's like all the time. It should always be on your lips. It shouldn't depart from your mouth. It It should be part of your wiring. Right? Part, it become part of the way you think and the conversations you have when you get up in the morning and when you go down to bed and when you're walking by the way and doing life. But it could also mean, and I think it means all of the above, but I think it could also mean to never be off of our lips as we, in a sense, talk about it to ourselves. That we mumble it, in a sense, to ourselves. Some say that the Hebrew word that means meditate actually is a word that, uh, that can be translated, mumble. Like always, you know, to meditate on it day and night is to, to, to be mumbled, like to have it on your lips. I do this. I don't know if you do. When I'm trying to learn something, have you ever studied for a test? Tell me you don't, like it doesn't kind of, you know, you're going over it. And like even look for somebody who will listen to you so that you can say it to them, right? Or you'll be in your car and I'll be going over the list and saying it out loud. And you, anything that you're trying to memorize or to, or to get, you spend time with it. And in spending time with it, you say it to yourself, and sometimes you're mumbling it, and you're walking around saying it. I used to to do well, so so we spend time, so you spend time with it, and that's what God is saying here when it comes to to meditate. He's talking about spending time with it. Some of us are intimidated by that word. It can it can do a couple things. One, it'll just plain intimidate you, and I, you get one or two images in your head. It's you start thinking about Eastern religions you know, that transcendental meditation or whatever meditation they're doing over there. We don't want any of that, and that's true. <laughs> but they don't have a corner on the market. That's the thing. There is their meditation, but biblical meditation, what he is saying, he's, he's telling you what it consists of. It doesn't consist of emptying yourself and exposing yourself to the universe or something and, and, and the universal sound of OM or whatever it is. It, it is. it is not all of that. It has content. He is saying meditate on his word day and night. He's giving you content. Here's what you do. Right? Spend time with this. Getting this in your head like you would study anything else. Mumble it to yourself. Spend time in my word. The other is you might get the idea of a monk in a cave somewhere. You know, meditation, I've heard of that. You know, that's some spiritual giant of a monk somewhere does that kind of thing day and night. You know, they vespers in the morning thing and the evening thing and people over there I don't know who does that but it ain't us but it is us (laughs) it is us it's none of those things it's as simple as this it simply means to give careful thought to something it means to think about something to mull it over to ponder it and to try to get it just like as you're trying to remember all those things for that class to put it back out there on paper for something, it's mulling over something till you got it, till you own it, and you can put it and it can come back out. Right? That's all—all all that it is—to mull it over, to ponder it, to chew it. Some others said it's a word like chewing the cud, like a cow takes it in and he doesn't just chew and swallow real quick. He chews it, he chews it again, or he swallows it and regurgitates it and then chews it again. Uh, however it goes, but it's this idea that it's just something that you keep chewing on. Prayerful thinking is the way I'd think of it. Prayerfully thinking. Thinking in God's presence. Thinking about God's stuff. With God invited along. You know, it is is listening to His words and then talking to Him about those words. It's it's, it's thinking about these things with an openness of spirit. That if you were to hear this sermon today and you were to take some time this afternoon to think about it. And invite God into the process, you know, trying to understand, God, how does this apply to my life? Am I doing this? Am I not? How does my life measure up? Am I doing this? Why am I not doing it? Have I carved out that space to be with you? Why not? What do I need to do to make that happen? How do I need to rearrange things? What do I need to stop doing and start doing? Why am I so tired when I do it? Maybe I need to go to bed earlier. Maybe I need to not do that. Or what do I need? It's to think about it to the place that it actually begins to say, but it is something I want to do, and so it becomes part of our desires, and we're actually making choices based on what we are learning and thinking about, and that's digesting. A lot of us chew our food and spit it out. It was a great sermon, you know, and then we leave church, and it's almost like it doesn't go down. It doesn't get in. It doesn't soak and have the effect on our lives that it is meant to have. Because if it didn't happen in the 30 minutes that Robert was speaking, it ain't going to happen. But it needs to. See, I've had people actually tell me, Robert, your sermons need to be, not not in these words, but this is the essence of what they're saying. Your sermons need to be so entertaining and so whatever that I walk out of here basically and, and I remember it without trying two years later. They got to be that good, like they got to be that entertaining or the story or the thing that you use so that it just, I could think back and like, yeah, I remember and all. It just I'll tell you this, my Bible says, think. You got to think. You got to take it and you got to meditate and, and give attention to it. There in your bulletin, 2 Timothy two seven, under the third point, Paul says this to Timothy. He wrote Timothy some stuff he thought was important, and then he says this, think over what I say. And the Lord is going to give you understanding in everything. But he's not going to give you understanding in everything if you don't think about it. Meditate on it. Give it some time in the space in there. And we're going to talk about creating some space for this. For God's word. To think God's thoughts after him. Paul basically just giving Timothy God's words. And then he says, now think. God's words after him. Think his thoughts. God has given us his thoughts. Think his thoughts. Think of them so much, day and night, that they become your thoughts and your way of thinking and your way of living. It's what every pastor wants to say when we finish preaching, you know, as we give the benediction, is think over what I say and the Lord will give you understanding. Right? It, is, it is that thing that belongs to you. Um, and it is work that we are called to do from the earliest pages of Scripture to the end. Paul, when he says, think over what I say, is basically, he says, Me- Timothy, meditate on what I'm telling you so that it sinks in. And you know what? As you think in the presence of God about these things, the promise is this. The Lord will give you understanding. It will take on depth and meaning for you. It will start having power in your life, and it won't be something you can quote, but something that, you, that, that, that comes out of you because it's what you believe and it's who you are. Proverbs 4.20 is there in your bulletin. He says this, be attentive to my words. Listen to them. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape your sight. See, I'm afraid. I'm afraid that by the time you finish lunch today, the words that I have said will have escaped your sight. Right? They, have, well, they will have escaped. They will have gotten away, and you went on to the next thing, which was you know, the football game or whatever that was, and then and then on to the next thing, and then on to the next thing, and, and they escape. But he says, you know what? Be attentive and hear, incline your ear, and then don't let them escape. Keep them in view, right? Keep them in your heart, for they are what? They are life for those who find them, not to those who listen to them, those who find them. Be not hearers of the word, but be Doers of the word, lovers of the word, chewers of the word, absorbers of the word, livers of the word. Livers like somebody who lives it, not livers like a bodily organ. <laughs> so let me just give you three or four things to think about. This is this is what you gotta do in some ways. I'm told this is this three or four things. You need to create space for God. Right? You need to create Space for God in your minds and in your time. And this is something that if you don't think about anything else, just take that one thing, go home and think about what that looks like for you and how you can do that to make space in your head, in your thinking, in the things that you give your thought energy to, and in your life time to do that to create space, margin in your life that you're not so busy from dawn till dusk that there's no room for something that God seems to think ought to be this huge part, that we're to be a people of the book, of his book. Um, And we know that it is here that he comes near. It's here that he will give you understanding. Because I believe it is one of the ways we come to Christ as his word soaks in. Um, And we're going to talk next week as we talk about prayer and turning this into prayer and, and conversation with God but it is here as we make room for him and to make room uh, all right expose yourselves to God's word is the first way you do it you come and sit under the preaching of God's word it ought to be a priority in our lives to, to to be exposed to his word day and night as you get up and as you lay down so we want to sit under biblical preaching in our Sunday school if you went through Greg's classes in Sunday school for the next five years, you would you would do a survey of the whole Bible. It's doing a flyover, but it's got a little, you know, it's not, it, it goes down a little, you know, it's not the deepest. And I would say then you need to go in your personal reading and your small group and go deeper. But he's doing a good job of saying to expose you to all of God's word and a basic understanding and, and the flow of redemptive history and, and the way so that you know where to hang things as you learn them and hooks on them. Um, but that, that that's like, it's like, Going to class It's like going there and sitting and exposing yourself week after week, month after month, year after year, exposing yourself to God's word that you might get a better understanding of it. Um, <clears throat> but then taking it down in small group, we're studying Colossians. Very often we're studying books and reading books that are based on the Bible and are applying some element of biblical teaching, and that's all good. That's where we take it home. We need to read it ourselves. You need to sit under it and read it in big blocks. That can be a Sunday school, but you need to study and to meditate on it in smaller bites to go over and over something. You know, I do this in, in various ways. There's a chair in my living room that I sit in. My wife, her chairs across the room. And, and many mornings we will sit there as I read and go over something. And I try to do, in those moments, I try to do small chunks of stuff, and if stuff hits me, I'll spend, sometimes I'll spend days in the same passage. Just coming back to it again and again. And if something speaks to me, I spend time with it. i will write it on a note card. I remember, I think it was Psalm 27 or 127. It's long ago enough. It's starting to fade, you know. But it was, deliver me in your righteousness. Cause me to escape. Incline your ear to me and hear me. For you are my rock and my fortress. And I remember reading that one morning where I just needed to hear that. And I just camped there. And I probably spent a week, I wrote it out, I started memorizing it and going over and just, it it didn't depart from my lips. You know, deliver me in your righteousness. Start to have a rhythm to it. Deliver me in your righteousness. Cause me to escape. Incline your ear to me. Hear me. You are my rock. You are my fortress. So that that becomes... True that and, and this is, and when I'm doing this, who am I talking? I'm talking to him. It's, it's me and his word, but I'm not failing to come to him for life. You deliver me. You are my rock. You are my fortress. You know what happens again and again as I open the scripture, New Testament and Old, and as we read it, that, we, that God speaks to us and that when we, that we camp there, that we spend time with that word, that we let it soak in, that we would own that word and that word would own us. I want to be this thing. I want to experience this thing. What, re- what does this really mean? How does it relate to my life? How do I need to change? How do I need to grow? So we create, we expose ourselves to God's word, but we, we literally need to create space, my friends. You need to create space if you don't have it. It's not because good Christians create space and God will love you more. God will not love you one bit more if you create this space than if you don't. But I'll tell you this, you'll have more joy in his love if you do. You you will experience it more often if you do. You will be healthier and fuller spiritually if you do. It's a matter just of doing what's good for us because it's good for us. You need space in your lives. I'll tell you now, you'll you'll start to do it. A word I would put out there, the one that captured me, is this idea of lingering. You know how you linger around a meal, everybody eats the meal, and then you just kind of linger around the table? So often in our houses, we finish eating and everybody's up. Okay, can I leave? You know, Can I go? You know, relationship is in the lingering, right? There's a lingering with God. In our quiet times, you know, read that, prayed that, did that, into my day, right? Where relationship really happens in the lingering with God, lingering in that word. Um, you know, chewing on that word and, and, and interacting with God over that word. It's not something that happens without planning, without discipline. We have to turn off and plug in. And there are there are spaces you can grab, time in your car. You know, sometimes you're listening to something that leads you into worship, and so you're listening to it and you're actually worshiping. Is more often than not, it's noise. Every now and then, just turn it off. Don't answer your phone. Don't unplug. Turn off. Unplug. Turn the TV off. Take an hour in that other room in that chair. And get a stack of books there to lead you into worship and learn. And go create some space and some time for you and for God to speak into your life. Meditate on it day and night. Think the thoughts of God. Think what he has thought. Set your minds, Colossians 3, there in your bulletin. Set your minds on things that are above, not on earthly things. The flesh will resist it. The world will resist it. The devil will resist it. But God says, meditate day and night. Come to me and have life. And we need to preach to ourselves. And I would say that's one of the places where we fall down. And let me disclose with this thought. You, you know, we spend a lot of time listening to ourselves all day, which is a weird thought, right? You listen to yourself all day. There's like two of us. And you, you must know this. We're like the only animal in the in the world false animals. We're people. The only creature in the world that are self-aware. We're the only creature that can stand back and look at ourselves. We're the ones who can stand back and examine ourselves. What are you doing? You shouldn't have done that. That was wrong. You need to do something. I'm standing standing back and I'm evaluating myself. Too often we're just kind of in ourselves and listening to ourselves. And that self, the old self is one who criticizes and complains and cynical and negative and you know, and we live in this, and we just listen to ourselves all day. And most of what we have to say is garbage, right? And we, all we do is we listen to ourselves. But what if, what if we actually preach to ourselves? What if we actually took things we were learning and we said to ourselves, self, I'm tired of that garbage. You know, I'm tired of, I'm tired of listening to you. Here, I got something for you. God is awesome. God lives. God is with us. You know what? Stop being afraid. Be strong. Be courageous. Your God is with you. Your God loves you. He is Almighty and He is good. He is your Father and He has embraced you. Self, I'm done with your garbage. Right? The Psalmist does it there in Psalm 42. Why are you cast down, O oh my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? What's your problem, self? What's your problem? Hope in God. I shall again praise Him. He is my salvation. And then we go live there on those thoughts. You know, not in the cast down, oh my soul, but in those thoughts. Yes, I shall praise Him. He is my salvation. He is my light and my rock. Deliver me in your righteousness and cause me to escape. Incline your ear to me and hear me. I know that you live. You see what I'm talking about? I'm just trying to get you into his word and let his word get into you and let his word speak to you and to stop listening to yourself and to start listening to God see and this is the thing you you know this That from the time you get up if you're not sleeping to the time you go to bed there's a conversation going on in your head there just is and whenever somebody says what are you thinking about and you say nothing you mean nothing I want to tell you (laughs) because you are thinking the, the brain, there's no neutral in brain. There's no blank space. It, it, there, there just isn't. You're always thinking about something. And the question, my friends, is what are you thinking about? God says, meditate day and night. When you rise up, when you walk in the way, when you sit down, when you go to bed, He says, think about these, whatever's true, whatever's lovely, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure. Think about these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Father in heaven, we confess that too often we let rain in our hearts things that ought not to rain there. That we think about those things which are not lovely and pure and right and true and noble, excellent and praiseworthy. We think about the garbage. We entertain the stuff. We listen to ourselves instead of listening to you. We are full of so much, but we are not as full of your word as we should be. And then we are so we are not as full of your life and your presence and your power as we could be. Oh God have mercy, come near, come near. Lead us in the paths of righteousness for your name's sake. Teach us to create space and to think your thoughts and to meditate on your word and to be shaped and to formed in a worshipful relationship with the God who speaks. Speak Lord, your servants are listening. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.